I, I've been in Vancouver now for, I think, about 15 years. But when I first moved to Vancouver, I lived in a house with uh, three other guys. I was going to school uh, here in town and needed a job. So I went and I, I printed off 50 resumes. And I was living on Arbuta Street. And I just started walking down the street. And every little shop I saw, I walked in and said, hey, how's it going? I'd love to be able to apply for a job here. I applied at restaurants. I applied at coffee shops. I applied at a bowling alley. I applied at the spy store. I applied, I applied everywhere. I just tried to give it, give it a go, do my, my, my best effort. And trying to compile a resume when you've got something from like a coffee shop to a spy store was quite a difficult range. I think, all right, I've got to try to look like I've got a diverse range of options. Like I'm experienced, but not too like niched and too narrow. So I tried to have like the, the ultimate, you know, diverse, uh, open-ended resume. My thought was if I get, you know, five offers, I'll, I'll pick kind of what fits me best. In the end, uh, that did not happen. My strategy was not, you know, so successful. Um, eventually I get a job, don't worry. But it was, it was a bit of an effort. But uh, we are going to read a story today that kind of begins with uh, a genealogy, the book of Matthew. And it's kind of surprising in that if you're going to hear one thing about Jesus, what's the first thing you should know? Is it his family story? Do you want to know who begat who, who begat who? Is that the first thing you want to share about Jesus? But in some ways, it's the ancient world's resume. Let's say try and give somebody's pedigree and display their credentials, who they are, why you should listen to them or, or try and take notice of, of their life. But Matthew's genealogy of Jesus is really curious. It's really interesting. So in this list of who begat who begat who, he notes four women plus the mother of Jesus, Mary. And that's quite different in ancient genealogies to, to note these women. They have really a great indicator about who this Jesus is. Why do we light these candles waiting for the light of the world to come? Like, who is this person? And these women in the genealogy gives a, a great hint about what this story will look like in Christ. So last week, we looked at the story of, of Tamar. Again, like Advent, a complicated story. And say, look at a woman named Rahab. Now, if, if those names aren't very familiar to you, you're in very good company. Um, whether you've been in, in the church for a long time or you're just exploring spirituality, these stories aren't often told in the history of faith. And part of the reason that we're trying to bring these stories to light during Advent is that they can show us some really helpful bits around how to hold the story of Christ and the story of Christmas. So you find Rahab's story in the book of Joshua. Now to give you a bit of background, Abraham, you know, the big, the big father of faith, he's got a bunch of kids. They head off to Egypt. They set up shop there. Uh, they become slaves in Egypt until a liberator is born, Moses, who brings them out of the land saying, hey, we're going to go to a place that God has promised to us. But the people can't quite figure out how to trust God in that project. And virtually that whole generation dies, except for two guys, one named Caleb and one named Joshua. So Joshua kind of inherits the leadership mantle, and it's his job to bring the people called Israel into their promised land. So here's the story we read in, uh, in Joshua chapter 2. And let me encourage you, stay tuned, because I wanted to ask you to do something after you 
hear this story. So listen, listen carefully. Then Joshua secretly sent two spies. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho, the nearby city. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house. But the women had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me. but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies, and the city gate was shut. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came up out of Egypt. We did it to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, Swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Um, Rahab has this incredible moment where you think that this person who's you know, almost to be dismissed, the, the local prostitute in the enemy city, has this amazing showcase of faith. So turn to a neighbor and just say one thing that you noticed from that story, something that was interesting or odd or unique, or a question you have from that story. So you got one minute. So go. Somebody around you, one thing you noticed, one question you have. Go ahead. Do it. You got 15 seconds. Okay, that's great. This, this story is meant to be really intriguing. It's meant to kind of get you talking. It's meant to kind of be surprising. You've got two Jewish boys who are out to try and spy out the land, and they end up at a prostitute's house. So everyone's ears perk up and think, what's going to happen? The whole narrative is meant to kind of make you lean in and perk up and think, what is this drama all about? Now, Rahab is likely a woman who lives on the edge of her community. We find out later in the story that literally her house is on the outside wall of Jericho. She is kind of on the outskirts. And as a sex worker, it's likely that 
You know, her social standing was somewhat diminished and she wasn't able to move as, as freely or openly in her community. We find out though that Rahab does have a family and she's somewhat like the, the head of the household. She's kind of in charge of them. She speaks for them and she acts for them. So even though she's in a bit of a precarious position, she has some, some power and some authority in that place. And the shocking bit of this story is that when Rahab is confronted by the, by the king of Jericho, she defends the spies. You're sure it's going to be a moment of being outed, of saying like, oh, we, we've caught you red-handed. We got them. Hooray. But no, she, she hides the spies and she tells a very clever lie. It's a very smart lie. She was that, wait, someone must know that they saw the spies come into my house. So sure enough, I'll acknowledge that. Yes, the spies were here. Then she says, but I didn't know who they were. Hey, come on now. I'm just dealing out sex. It's not my job to know people's stories. And the people who are investing just believe the story. They think, yep, it's a sex story. That sounds right. And then she gets another good strategy here and says, if you guys hurry now and go, you can find them. Don't bother looking through my house. Just go. Head for the hills. Try and track them down. Rahab is a, a smart woman. And she's clever on her feet in this incredibly charged moment. Um, she's got her finger on the pulse. Like Rahab knows what the city is about. She's not under any kind of illusion. She knows that there's this group called Israel who's coming to town and it sounds frightening. And in this moment, she chooses who she's going to have an alliance with, with this foreign group of the Israelites. So I want to find for us this morning three surprising and bold declarations that we find from Rahab that make her, I think, a really compelling character in the story of, of faith. So here we go. The first one is, is Rahab's confidence, a real surprising confidence. She says to the spies, the very first thing, I know that the Lord has given you this land. What? How, how is that possible? How does she, she have this kind of confidence? Remember, for, for 40 years, Israel struggled with that very question. They didn't think it was true. They thought it was impossible. It was generations of, of unbelief and tension. And even Joshua, in the text that's implied, it's a bit unsure. So he sent some spies saying, go figure this out. Can we do this? Is this possible? And who is the pillar of faith in the story, it's, it's the sex worker in the enemy town who says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. It's, it's mind-blowing. It's, it's shocking. And she's willing to, to risk her own life, and life of her family, for this, this belief. Now, Rahab gets called later in Hebrews 11 in this list of the great heroes of faith, one of the greatest faith displayers of all time because of this act. She, she hears the story that Israel, you know, had the, the Red Sea parted and they crossed over on dry land, that they had these two enemy kings totally defeated. And having heard these stories, she thinks, do I believe that? Do I put my weight in that? Yeah, I do. That's enough for me. And I will now put my story within that story. That's that's an incredible sense of, of confidence. 
And I think that's something that's worth us trying to, to emulate. I've got a little girl who's now uh, five years old, and she's in the local kindergarten. And we had our first parent-teacher interview just the, the other week. So he just said, like, hey, to get ready, I tried to pull all the kids aside and have a mini interview to try and set up our parent-teacher exchange. So I've talked to your daughter, and I'd like to share with you some of her responses. So my wife and I are like, okay, we're ready for this. And said, I, I asked your daughter, uh, what's your favorite thing about kindergarten? She said, oh, the music. She loves the music, loves to sing and, you know, play the little instruments and the drums. I said, great. Said, and then I asked your daughter, what is hard for you in kindergarten? And my wife and I got nervous and thought, okay. It's like, do you want to know what May said? I'm like, yeah. She looked at me, she said, nothing. <laughs> nothing is hard for me. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, and I had this minute, minute of self-reflection, like, wow, I can't remember a time in my life where I could have said in honesty, nothing is hard for me. Like, that's a stunning thought. And she said that with all sincerity. I, I half envy that, and I'm half very worried about that. <laughs> but I think there is, there's a picture there of real incredible Confidence. I think for, for a lot of us, confidence is a pretty hard thing to come by. You know, we, we get some tough knocks, things go wrong, we get a bit shaken up, and we, we lose confidence. We get a bit more tentative, a little bit more unsure. But Rahab is listed one of the, the greatest of all time in the list of faith. Why? Because she has confidence in the story that she heard, that it was real that it was legit, that it could hold the weight of her life. Really, that's the whole season of Advent. We try and tell the story and say, hey, we can have confidence that as we wait, the light will come, that he'll show up, that the minor key of rejoicing won't always inhabit a minor key. So I think that's the first bit, Rahab's stunning confidence. That's, that's a beautiful, surprising gift from a, an odd place. And then uh, come to this next part where Rahab says to the spies, again in this confident voice, all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage has failed. Now this is such good news because again, for 40 years, Israel's had a, a tension point. How do we get over to this land of Canaan? And here in this one line, Rahab dismantles the obstacle. They were so scared that they wouldn't have enough to do it. She says, guys, everyone's scared over here. You've, you've got your whole fear equation misinterpreted. You know, there's this picture when Moses is trying to enter the promised land. He sends spies out, check out the land. They come back with a report saying, we can't do it. And the whole people shake in fear. They're nervous. I think, what has God done to us? Now we're just hooped. We've left our home, and now we're in the wilderness, and we've got nowhere to go. We can just pick our death. What death do we want? And so when these spies go out from Joshua, you've got this echo in your head of, wait, what will the report be? And sure enough, there's shaking yet again, but this time it's flipped around. It's not the people of God who are shaking. It's the enemies. And again, it's not some sort of great king or prophet. It's 
the sex worker who dismantles the, the obstacle of fear before these uh, people of Israel. I think this becomes like a, a really important legacy piece for, for Rahab. You, you read later on that Rahab's uh, son is, is a man named Boaz. He ends up marrying uh, an Israelite. They have a son, Boaz. And if you know the, the biblical story, Boaz is a person of, of great standing and integrity who acts as a redeemer for somebody who's in a, a terrible situation. And he removes the obstacle of, of fear in their life and says, come, you'll be safe here. Where did Boaz learn that? Where did he get this idea that you could try and remove these obstacles of the people who are right in front of you from his mother? She showed it right in this moment as these spies are huddled under the flax thinking, do we have hours? Is this prostitute going to turn us in? He says, guys, everyone's shaking for fear because of you. You've, you've got this. It's, it's a, an amazing moment of encouragement. And again, Rahab's not just offering some positive talk and some like, you know, uplifting encouragement. She's trying to see this this whole story through the eyes of faith. That if you trust in this big power of God, then surely things that feel difficult, even impossible, become doable. This, this last week, uh, a friend of mine died of, of cancer. He was my, my roommate when I was passing out those resumes um, 15 years ago. And we're the same age. Uh, he's got two little girls it's a really sad story. And when he entered into a hospice care this last week, his wife said, this is a heartbreaking day. And she said this, but we know that we have a great hope that will not disappoint us. We have a great hope that will not disappoint us. I think there's an amazing ability for her in that moment to somehow see tragedy with the eyes of faith. And it actually, it changed how she held that story of pain and of suffering. I, I was feeling, I was feeling guilty that I hadn't talked to my friend, you know, since he moved away for, like, you know, eight, eight or ten years. And so I, I reached out to him and sent him a note being like, hey, uh, I, just, I, I miss you and I feel bad we've been more, more in touch. And um, I really loved our time together in Vancouver. And he sent me a note just a few weeks before he died. And uh, he said, uh, I love you, Dan. My, my time with you represents some of the best times of my life. I will always be grateful for the moments that God gave us together. And I've read those words again and again this week because it's been like really healing for me. Like what, what a beautiful gift to give, give to me. Like a, a lovely word um, in his passing. And he took away part of the fear I had of not being that good enough friend, of not showing up as I should have, of not kind of uh, pulling my weight. And I think this is one of the great liberties that faith can give, to take an obstacle and demolish it. Say that that thing that you feel is just kind of in your way, at your neck, chipping you up, doesn't have to be there. That through the eyes of faith, you can hold it differently. That a word can be spoken that changes how you hold pain. 
how you hold loss, how you hold fear. I think that's true for all of us today, that God would want to speak a word to us that would demolish some of the obstacles that we feel, offer us some Advent hope, something good. Uh, this, is, this is gospel news, that God dismantles the obstacles that we fear. Okay, let's um, take it home. One last thing. We got Rahab, who's got this incredible confidence. You've got Rahab who dismantles the obstacle of fear. And one last bit here from Rahab, that she knows where to situate faith. Now, what do I mean by that? She says to the spies at the very end there, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, why? Why is that important? One, this God is not Rahab's God. She, she's just heard the stories about Yahweh. And she says, hey, given what your God has done, the power he's displayed, all the universe must be his domain. He is God in heaven. There is no upward limit. He is God on earth below. There is no bottom limit. He, she names, given the, the breadth of control for your God, what is not possible. It's, again, a, an amazing place to put her, her confidence. She's asking the spies, given the one you serve, what is not your God's? Does he not have all of it? Again, this is the sex worker who speaks like a prophet, who, who speaks like a priest, naming the, the domain of the, the power of God. It's it's really surprising, and it's really beautiful. It kind of says to all of us, you have no idea where profound grace might come from your life. In the place you least expect it, or the person who you think incapable of offering that kind of good. God might say, hey, Advent's a time of surprise, where light shines in the darkness. And who's to say what darkness it might shine from? There's, there's this really cool thing that happens when Rahab situates herself with this idea of God is the one above heaven and above earth. She, she asks the spies for mercy. She says, hey, given that your God is this massive, remember me with kindness. Would you have mercy on me? And it shows you these two possible postures that are open to all of us when, when God comes rolling by. One, you can have the king of Jericho and think, all right, it's time to fortify. We're going to hunker down. Let's defend what's ours. Let's keep our stuff. Keep it controlled. Keep it managed and make sure that we don't kind of lose the things that we love. Well, you have the Rahab posture who says, God, it's all yours. Heaven and earth. And all I can do is ask, ask for mercy. I'll try and show it. And I'll ask it to be returned to me as well. That's, that's a profound picture of what it means to have, have faith. And the big question for us, will, will you fortify the, the position that you have today? Will you try and defend it and rationalize it and say, well, here's where I am for this reason? Or will you try and pursue mercy, a way of surprising kindness, of trusting the immense power of God? This last week, I went out to uh, shuffle our sidewalks and I, I hate shoveling. I, I, I grew up in, in Regina and Calgary, and 
spent like my whole life, I felt like shoveling until moving here. I thought, this is paradise. Why does not the whole world come to Vancouver? There's no shoveling. And so I uh, looked outside and said, okay, I should do my due diligence. I'll go shovel the sidewalk. So I'm out there and I'm pretty grumpy, shoveling away. I look over at our neighbor's house and it's a neighbor, neighbor's place is full of like six university students and uh, they're always high. And uh, I thought, there's not a chance they're gonna shovel these sidewalks. So I'm like, all right, I'll be a good neighbor. So I shovel the sidewalks. And again, with like anger and resentment in my heart. And then I'm walking back to the house and look over and my other neighbor's sidewalk is also uh, on shovel. And I thought, ah, they're a little bit older. Like, you know, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Maybe God will, like, you know, give me special favor if I do the nice thing. It's like, all right, we're going to do it. So I go over there, shovel their sidewalks. And again, I have a pretty bad attitude in it, being like, this is the worst. I hate this. Um, and then this little line from, uh, from Joshua 2 came to me. When, when Rahab asks for mercy... She says to the spies, hey, remember me with kindness. They say to her, our lives for your lives. And this kind of surprising pledge of saying, hey, you got our backs. We got your backs. We're, we're in this. We're in this to the death. And so I tried saying that as I was shoveling. Our lives for your lives. Our lives for your lives. And then I had this idea of maybe... I don't want to live in this idea of, hey, if I shovel your walk, you better be shoveling my walk the next time it snows to try and fortify my life and think, what am I owed? What do I deserve? Whose turn is it next? Or the Rahab posture of saying, I, I could show some kindness. I could show some mercy here. I've got the ability, so I can do it. It was honestly, it was, it was a hard lesson for me. But it was this profound picture of which lane do you choose? Do you fortify your options or do you, do you seek mercy? This whole season of Advent is all designed to try and like, tear down the place that we resist God, where we try and build up these walls of defenses. Whether it's like unhealthy habits we're stuck into or just distraction, we practice waiting to cultivate attention. To, to get our, our eyes on this one who is the light of the world. And there's some really good news in Rahab's story. There's no nitpicking about saying, but wait, she was a sex worker. But wait, she told, she told lies to those guys looking for the spies. The whole story is like, you know what? She had courageous faith. God's not trying to nitpick through our lives to try and say, this is bad. That was wrong. He's trying to build in us a courageous faith, something big and bold like Rahab, where there's, there's confidence, where the things that are obstacles can be dismantled, where we can situate faith with a big view of God who's over heaven and over earth that enables us to, to live into mercy. Rahab gets mentioned a few other times in the, in the scripture, and whenever she's named, she's always called Rahab the prostitute. And I found that like, oh, come on, guys. That just feels cruel, doesn't it? Like, that was like 40 years ago. Let her go. Like, stop calling her that. Um, but I don't think it's meant to be some sort of punishing title for Rahab. 
I think it's meant to be like a sign of, remember that. Remember that story? It was Rahab, the sex worker who was your prophet. She was priest to you. She, she built your faith. She showed you confidence in God most high. She tore down the obstacles where you didn't believe, where you were blinded by fear. She situated faith in the God of heaven and earth. She is the one who points us to the light of the world. The great, great, great grandmother of Christ himself. Rahab shows us that the people that Jesus came from are the people that he came for. People like you and me who don't have our stuff together, who've got messiness, whose lives aren't a show and tell of goodness. But there's hope and there's grace as the light shines in the darkness. Let me close by leading us in a little prayer, and I'll try and guide us through a few movements. So let's close our eyes, and uh, let me try and direct us a little bit as we pray. God, you know the, the untidy parts of our stories, the places that we feel embarrassed, the things we're so hesitant and unsure about. And today, even now, we would, would welcome a gift of confidence from you. So for each of us, picture a place in your life where you might need confidence today. Try and hold that in your mind. Where do you feel a need to be more confident? Jesus, would you help us with this? Like Rahab, help us to put the weight of our lives in this powerful story that we've heard. And God, we ask that you would come this morning to dismantle the obstacles that are before us today. Maybe they won't evaporate or go away, but we could see them differently. Help us to see the, the tensions that we hold with the eyes of faith. So think for a minute now about a, a tension that you feel today. An obstacle that's in your path. Something you need to have dismantled. And how might Jesus lead you to look at that situation? How might he speak a good word to take away the fear around that place and offer something good. And lastly, God, we pray that, like Rahab, you would help us to situate faith well, to, to frame our lives under your immense control. What is not yours, O oh God? And think for a moment here about where you have some response options, about where you're tempted to fortify your position, to justify yourself, protect. And where might God lead you to seek mercy, to show a surprising kindness? 
God, like Rahab, we do not feel remarkable. But we sense your invitation to trust in your remarkableness. Like Rahab, would you include each of us in your family and build our faith? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.